Hello, everybody. Uh, today is Monday, October 23rd, and this is episode 41 of Block Digest. Uh, we're at block height 491,392. So to dive right into it, guys, how the heck does a tangle count its block height with, with a million different things tangled together? No the answers? Air, the dead air is palpable. It was No answers? That's a that's a tough knot to untangle. I mean that's it uh, untangled. Uh, what what can I say? That, that what happens here? I mean the the centralized untangle of tangles needed what refangling? I think that they we have <laughs> discovered uh a new meaning of IOT, Internet of Tangles. I think As I'm, fucked. I'm, I'm more interested <laughs> in the discovery yeah. that we can, we can shut know. down a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer system for maintenance. Like, you can do that? Yeah, like, I mean, that's weird. I thought, I thought decentralized meant that you couldn't do that. I guess I'm a noob. Yeah, we didn't yeah, really understand this stuff. We, have we just been wrong this whole time? You know, I right. was okay, so just tell us, but somebody, but somebody, just tell us, break it down. What happened? There is this. Uh, well, the thing is that's that's really weird. Is that I would say there's this blockchain, but it, they don't call it a blockchain. They call it a tangle. Or someone will correct me in the comments. So I'm sorry if I don't have the technical, complete technical understanding of their revolutionary system, but so yeah. The, all right, here we go. Eric Wall. So the coordinator was shut off. IOTA is down. So they just yeah, shut down though. one server and the whole the whole system, the whole network was down. Does that sum it up? Yeah. I mean, it, this is like one of the silliest things in the world. Like it, pretty, pretty much IOTA, to, to reiterate, is a DAG. So instead of one chain of linear blocks, you have a whole tangle of things. And the idea is that, yeah, like every once in a while it gets checkpointed so that you don't have the DAG spread off into like the, the bottom end of a broomstick where you have everything going off in different directions and peers can only see certain parts of things because then you have the ability to double spend on like one end of that and everybody on the other end won't see that so you can spend it over there too. And the, the coordinator was pretty much their solution to prevent that. But obviously, as you can see, they, they shut that down and now what? Like, and another interesting aspect of this is it wasn't just the coordinator, which is closed source and centrally ran that shut down. All of the nodes shut down as well. So how in this decentralized system that counts on a centralized checkpointing service get all of the decentralized nodes to shut down for maintenance for two days? Well, I think one of the theories <laughs> was that they just have a whole bunch of droplets spun up, and they probably just turned off those droplets, and those droplets probably have a whole lot of uh, uh, nodes on them. But that's not really good for your project either, because, you know, how do you defend that? It's like, oh, well, it's B2B decentralized, because we have all of our nodes behind this other local area network. But uh, uh, I was going to actually just say, should we, should we introduce ourselves a little bit to the panel uh, so people know who's talking? Why don't we start with Shinobi? Oh, my God, our, Blake, our what the host. hell? so embarrassing for me. Like, you just embarrassed me. I, I messed yeah, up when I'm supposed to be the host. You're not supposed to call me out. You're just supposed to go with it, Blake. It's probably a <laughs> deep character flaw. You're probably a bad person. Blake with the showstopper. <laughs> with the showstopper. All right. Uh, I, I guess I guess we, we have Blake. 
as everybody sees. We're also joined by Acnix. Uh, hey. Mr. Theo Goodman. Theo's like half <gasps> Is Theo gone? What's up? I'm here. Welcome, Internet. Oh, thank God. We, we have Mr. Rick, our, our resident meme expert. With that awesome hey, hey, hat. Everyone. Hey, hey. And I, I don't know if she wants to introduce herself, but uh, Velo, she's uh, one of the operators of the Mumble. Uh, really awesome asset in the community. Velo? Uh, what's up, guys? I just came in here to bug you, so I'm just, I'll just be chilling. Thanks for the intro. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Most definitely. Right. We need, we need to a dissenting opinion. We need to make it so that Shinobi doesn't go unchallenged. This needs to be a contentious episode. Oh, absolutely. All right, guys. So why 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 are my uh, my jokes about Iota uh, wrong? Come on, poke holes in my jokes. Why are they wrong? I don't know. I think it was funny when the uh, like because they were like you know it was decentralized, and then it got attacked, and it's not decentralized. So we need to decentralize it so we can re-decentralize it. And I thought that that was just a, a really funny painting yourself into a corner of rationalization type of uh, version of events. So wait, we got to centralize the decentralized thing so we can decentralize it so it's not centralized anymore. It's like a uh, war for peace and rape for virginity and, and all those types of, uh, <laughs> wow. What Blake, you're on a roll. Uh, so, so what is the point of IOTA anyway? What is the stated goal of that, um, tangle chain or however, what's, how should I refer to it? Well, supposedly it's, uh, it's, it's, purpose was to be used for internet of things transactions but um you know it's if it's all just coming down to the the centralized coordinator uh i'm not really sure how that's any different than just giving your device a paypal account <laughs> right so but why was it why what was the issue because i there was um a month ago or a longer an issue with the uh not with the encryption. Yeah, with with the algorithm they were using. Do you remember that story? Yeah, they had a uh, uh, they rolled their own hash function that pretty much left the uh, the network open to double spending potentially, and then played the whole branding game where they took a pre existing algorithm and, and renamed it <laughs> for some reason. All right, it's, was this recent thing why the coordinator or whatever they're called is that why they does it have anything to do with it, or why did they? And was anyone in a self-driving yes. car when it happened? <laughs> Sorry, it you was over the weekend. Jump. It was over the weekend, it's... and it looked like—I uh, don't know—it looked like that um, coordinator was like their client. And I mean, I think it was really kind of like the whole thing was they don't really know why it went down. People on Reddit started speculating and then they did make a blog post about how they're doing a security audit. So it's possible that that's why they shut it down. And uh, I just think it's really pretty funny how they responded. Like with that coordinator, they had a Twitter account that just said, hold my beer. Like they know that that's something screwy going on and they're just, uh, they're kind of being a little trolly about it. But yeah, it was something that happened over the weekend. At, did the price dump on this, or was there any reaction in the market? It went up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, nobody can send anything anywhere, so it's all on exchange. So you can't send it from your wallet to dump. 
Yeah, that was so pretty it's a, convenient. Yeah, it's an insular value issue. So there's another term. There's another thing in terms of what to be doubtful of when the effect of somebody's problem creates value insulation that makes something go up and stuff. You're like, well, isn't that convenient? It's a very convenient problem to have. I mean, it's like I, I don't know what the heck. Like a lot of these projects in, in the space are, are really sinking their value at us. I mean, like Dude, we've seen like a number of issues with. Uh, your, sorry, go ahead. Re decentralization. Can't you see it's a good thing? <laughs> it's like a twice. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to, <laughs> to rein in the troll a little bit, though. I mean, like, what what is the purpose of something that it, it literally depends on this closed sourced centralized coordinator? to protect itself from, from double spends. I mean, like the, the entire like value proposition of Bitcoin, like the, the original blockchain implementation was to have a decentralized way to manage the double spend problem. Like that, that's the core of what all of this is about. It is a way to manage that problem without a centralized authority being in total control of arbitrating that. So but wait, what's the value? What, what, what if we could have a centralized server that'll do this? It would be like a database, but with blockchain technology, it wouldn't function as well or as quickly. We could call it beta days technology. Well, as long as we don't use SQL, <laughs> that's, that's fine. It's got to be no SQL. God. Uh, yeah. I, I have no uh, problem no, with permission sorry. ledgers. I don't have any problem with a permission ledger that's being used for things that it makes sense for. But when you have something that you're like, oh, it's just totally decentralized, and then it comes out in specific certain super material ways that it's not. I mean, I think it's worthy of at least a little bit of ridicule. Well, I mean, but that's kind of the, the thing here, specifically with IOTA, is like it, they're not uh, advertising it or, or throwing it out to the market as a, a service that they provide. They're, they're attempting to, to paint this image that they're a decentralized system you know, or Litecoin or any, any of the other actually decentralized systems out there, and they're not. I mean, it's like... <clears throat> like where, where, it's, where is that line where uh, attempting to use a centralized service but portray it as something like Bitcoin becomes scamming. Or oh, it's, becomes it's fraud. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a violation of mutual assent. That's why a lot of people are trying to uh, label a lot of this stuff as securities, because when you have a security, it's going to represent certain things and not represent certain other things. And in terms of when you're buying a security, it has to be, you know, mutual assent has to be involved. So you can't be selling a security that's for something completely different than what the person who's buying it thinks that it is. And this would be one of those cases wherein the qualities of this quote unquote security being fundamentally different than what people think they are, namely not decentralized, makes it a violation of mutual assent. And a whole bunch of legal baggage with that too, but uh, I think we've probably kicked IOTA enough when they're down. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess then we want to move on and start looking at some of the, the rationalizations uh, we're seeing in Wall Street for why people aren't uh, dipping their toes in yet. I think we've, uh, we've got a, a CNBC article uh, titled Big Money Stays Away from Booming Bitcoin. And I, I think this is kind of a really interesting thing to look at for, for somebody who isn't really thinking through the dynamics of like Wall Street moving into this space. And it really does kind of tie into a lot of the other use cases for Bitcoin. So, I mean, like when, when you look at like one of the, the main things that are kind of deterring people from actually using Bitcoin as a, a real currency in their day to day life, it's the volatility. 
like it, most people are not going to want to deal with the the added mental complexity of analyzing price swings when, when they're going to buy a, a loaf of bread. Like the, most people aren't going to want to sit there and do the opportunity cost in their head. Like, okay, well, the price just tanked 20%. Like how much am I spending? Like what's my net loss in this year? And like that same kind of thing holds true for just investing in Bitcoin. Because a, a lot of these hedge funds and, and other institutions on Wall Street, like they manage billions of dollars like uh, on a regular basis. But like you can't just sink that much money into Bitcoin right now with the kind of liquidity we have because it, it would it would drive the price through the roof. Or if you've accumulated coins and are dumping them, it would drop it into the floor. And so like for, for a lot of use cases, like the liquidity a balance in the price is really a necessity and we're not going to be able to see the type of liquidity and the stability that would bring until we get to a much higher market cap or a much higher price per bitcoin because it's just the, the numbers there like well, i think if, I, I, if you have I think that you're totally right. I think that there's a volatility problem, but I also think that there's like layers of the economy. And if you look at the layers of our uh, legacy economy, the top layer is like the dollar. And then all the layers underneath that are the derivatives. And what people are looking at Bitcoin as, they're like, look, it's the same as our layer of money or our layer of investment or futures in, in, in like the middle of the economy. But putting Bitcoin there versus our economy is an inappropriate place to compare it to, which I think a lot of people like Jamie Dimon and that, they compare Bitcoin to this layer of our economy. When Bitcoin is is a totally new economy. It goes all the way at the top to be compared with the dollar. There's a whole bunch of derivatives there under. The derivatives that fall under Bitcoin versus the derivatives that fall under the dollar are fundamentally different because the unit of value is fused with the IOU. There's not going to be a big extended paper futures market and stuff like that to blow the value of this unless people voluntarily set up to use it that way. So when people like Jamie Dimon and, and, and these big investors say, I don't know what the value proposition of Bitcoin is because it is not a crypto identifier tag on a real asset, so it has no value. It's like, no, we've come up with a new digital product, which is digital scarcity and renting space in the ledger that you can then control by virtue of how many coins you have. That is a new form of value and it's categorically superior to all other forms of value in terms of its objective traits and qualities qualities. There are some things like volatility that are not as good, but as, as far as the material objective factors, it is a better medium of exchange. And that is missed by people who are trying to invest in ephemeral or short-term value propositions in terms of Bitcoin. They don't see that the value proposition of Bitcoin is the long-term upset of categorically inferior modes of moving money around. And from that long view, Bitcoin is fantastic for long-term investment, but the short-term investment uh, play, people don't understand. And even like Jamie Dimon saying, well, it might be worth $100,000, but then it's going to collapse. And it's like, well, Jamie, an object in motion will remain in motion unless a force acts upon it. So the object in motion that's going all the way up to $100,000, what's the object of force that's going to turn that around to going down in the opposite direction and it's not it's not reasonable to conclude that if the uh factors that make this system unique drive it to that spot that then some new factors will be birthed out of nowhere that we can articulate and then drive it suddenly in the opposite direction that's not a reasonable thing to conclude without being able to state what that thing is that's going to drive it back down sorry to, to yeah. jump in on that rant no, I mean, it's a, that was perfectly said. I mean, like when, when you look at Bitcoin in relation to like the, the fiat it's traded against, it's like a sponge or a battery. And I mean, like the, all the problems uh, as far as using it beyond speculation go, it's all a result of that lack of liquidity. And the more it soaks up, 
the more reasonable and cost effective all of those other uses start becoming. So like, yeah, if we get to that point, like you're having these, these utilizations become more efficient and more practical and more useful, the higher like the value gets, the more we soak up. And like when we get to that point, like why would that just suddenly implode on itself when all of these value propositions start actually to steal a word from you instantiating themselves in an effective way? No, exactly. And then you also have to look at the issue in terms of people that want it to continue to spread and continue to have a lot of network force behind it and a lot of infrastructure that will accept payments and then have it and stuff like that. When the price goes up to $100,000, the holders that then have lots and lots and lots of money by which to make previously very expensive issues now cheap, they're going to want to uh, fund and support this new thing that's going on. And that's what Jamie Dimon says about the legacy system. It's going to fund and support its own things. And it's not going to let Bitcoin in, which is true. But he doesn't realize the categorically superior, objectively incontrovertible value proposition of having you know, the equivalent of email to mail be money-based. So when people don't have that big value proposition understood that it's incontrovertibly categorically superior to other mediums of exchange that is the driving factor that's going to make it so that the legacy systems defensive strategies are going to be ineffective in terms of trying to keep the entire world the jurisdiction of the world from realizing the value of digital scarcity yeah but with seashells i can make a necklace with Bitcoin, I can't. <laughs> and then, yeah, I love that. Like, people, like, I can make a copper bowl. I can make a bowl of gold. And it's like, well, when people are talking about the um, utility, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad up. argument. You know, what's the value thing they talk about? Intrinsic. They talk, they're like, they're like gold yeah, has yeah. intrinsic value because I can make a bowl from it. And I was like, ah, maybe you could say that as a superconductor, it has intrinsic value. But even that would be kind of yeah. weird. Yeah, well, it do, it does have you know, well, silver and gold do you know there is industrial demand. It's just nothing compared to the speculative demand. So it's you know it's just always used as a as something to say. But when you really look at it, it's it's pretty low. Uh, also, there are derivatives coming for Bitcoin, and so whoever wants to use derivatives can. You know, I mean, there's Ledger X is doing derivatives now, and you know there probably will be more coming now of course they won't be the same as holding real bitcoin and a key and all that but you know maybe for some people they don't even want that or they can't do that because of whatever reasons because of uh, insurance or because of regulations and so on and so forth so that's all developing little by little and then people maybe people in the article that we cited would be fine you know buying a derivative and not okay uh, holding keys because they don't want to have to deal with it, but that's just you know who whatever you want. That's just a different product. Anyone else? Well, I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna kind of jump in here and, and uh, toss up something that's kind of uh, tangentially related. But uh, the, the Saudi prince uh, Alawid bin Tali, he's uh, the the operator of uh, Kingdom Holding. It's a Saudi company that's invested in uh, a lot of big businesses like Citigroup, Apple, and Twitter. But he's also another uh, very influential figure in the legacy economy that's uh, pretty much calling Bitcoin a scam. Uh, I believe in this uh, CNBC article, he, he equated it to Enron. And like his line of reasoning, it's pretty much the exact same kind of thing as Damone and, and a lot of these other people. It's, it's not backed by any authority. It's, its value is totally based on speculation. 
I, like, like what is with the, this consistent like thread here of all these people in these influential positions, like taking this line? Because I mean, you, you could make the well, argument that it's like you know, if 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 your paycheck is on the line, you're not going to want to understand something. But like the people like this are the ones best suited to benefit from something like Bitcoin because they have well, the capital well, what, to get in at a massive scale. Well, what broker does he use? We just need to figure that out. I mean, you know, Jamie Dimon, he talked shit, and you know, he didn't buy a Bitcoin derivative in Sweden, but you know that he works for bought some derivative in the name of their clients so what where does this guy do his do his uh you know banking and his trading but maybe, see, that's he, kind of, maybe he just bought some i mean if you're a big person and he saw that jamie diamond affected the market i mean it's just a conspiracy theory kind of but you know maybe he just wants to get in it could be well i mean that's kind of what i'm asking like you know are these people like legitimately yeah. Like, think, do they legitimately think that Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies are scams, or are they just kind of playing the market like they do with other assets? That's what I've I been mean. Wondering. I think it. What do you think? What do you think, Rick? I was just wondering, looking at this whole story, it just sort of looks like they are limiting on ramps for the meantime until you know ETFs get approved and you know more large hedge funds get in and then we might start to see this price volatility sort of slow down to or, you know and like you were saying about different products and different people wanting this for different things i know that you know a lot of people talk about volatility in markets not being where they want it to be in these legacy markets so maybe these guys are you know going that direction for right now until we get to this other's place where things will be more a, you know, mass adopted and more not so volatile. Yeah, so they're trying to kind of get in and kind of keep the gates uh, closed for the most part until they actually see the demand to like directly profit off of it themselves. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just feel like a lot of people who have the liquidity and that kind of income to make trades on these uh, huge volatility swings, they could certainly clean up. And uh, I mean, like, I feel like that's, if you had enough money, that's where I would put it. But, you know, I'm not that big of a trader. Oh, snap. We got Chris. We got yes. Chris, people. See, now the party begins. And now we really get to start to hear some foul language. I'm just here for Blake. Blake has been on age, and now I have to come on. Sorry, guys. Sorry I'm late. I've been involved with the whole Bitcoin gold fiasco thing with Finex. They've just launched it, and I was, like, scrambling there at the last minute, and then I was out, and then I couldn't get online, and I was, like, struggling. No, it's great. I hope, I, hope, I hope you're, like, the Gordon Ramsay of Bitfinex, and you're like, these are the standards. Yeah. Standard yeah, was... standards. <laughs> Yeah, it turned out a bunch of customers wanted this shit coin. It's basically an altcoin based on the UTXO set that we were like scrambling the last minute to market. So, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Got any insider info for us on that? Uh, that note, Chris? Yeah, give me, give me some Bitcoin <laughs> gold right now. It's not a stock. It's not a stock. But they're hard forking in like five hours or so, let maybe less than that. Well, not hard forking, they're taking a snapshot. And then, then the developer, this Martin guy, like I'm on Slack with him 
Bitcoin Gold. And he's like, oh yeah, so we're going to take a snapshot, like, you know, roughly 6 a.m. UTC with whatever block height. And then we're going to like try and figure out the replay protection before launching the mainnet. I'm like, really? Like, is that, this is how you're doing it now? You're like Wait, trying to figure things out. They haven't forced they don't the network. Even have it's going to take a snapshot. Well, not yet. They're figuring <laughs> Man, that out. I, like, they, yeah, they sound a little tangled up. Maybe they need to, tangled. you know, add, they seem a little <laughs> yeah. tangled up. Yeah, that's it. that's it. They're all tangled up. The tangled but like up I say, I'm just, here for, I'm just here for Blake. <laughs> you know, I sent, uh, I sent an email and uh, uh, it took two weeks to get to where I was sending it to because these tangled up tubes. You know, this, this right. senator told me that once and uh, he's dead now, so it's not as fun to make fun of him. But that was a pretty funny uh, speech on the floor. <laughs> Well, I guess. Uh, where, where, so, who's that coordinating node? Tone down the ethics, guys. Come on. Who's that coordinating node? Dial back about 25%. Dial back the ethics about 25, 30%, and then our ratings will go through the roof. Yeah. Right. Who's the coordinating node on this shit, anyway? Shinobi. We keep trying to talk over him to give him a hard time. Yep. Shinobi. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We're tangling yep. Shinobi up here. And, <laughs> yeah, we're. So who All is right, this guys, guy I'm that put, said I'm Bitcoin? Putting, I'm putting down the hammer. All right, we're, we're changing subjects. This is a dictatorship now. And I'm in charge, and we're going to talk about Coinbase and how they totally cucked out. <laughs> and guess what they did? Guess what they did? The original Bitcoin chain is going to be called Bitcoin. That's it. Like, like it, but they, they caved. They, they realized that, that trying to just call this entirely new corporate fork that they're creating, Bitcoin, is fraud, opens them up to a shitload of legal liabilities, and they've seen the light. So, I mean, it, <laughs> at this point, like, what hope does 2x have to actually try to claim to be Bitcoin? Like, the, the, one of the most influential signatories that was still going to stick with it has now publicly stated that Bitcoin is Bitcoin. And Bitcoin 2x is not. So, so where do we go uh, from here, guys? It, it sounds a bit controversial to me. I think that the, this signifies that the uh, Bitcoin experiment has been resolved, and that uh, um, yeah, it's over now. So you know, unfortunately, Adam Back and the assholes of Blockstream are just going to you know be this this cartel of assholes, and the good people, the honest people like Roger. And, you know, the Bitcoin cash maximalists are going to lose and history is never going to know the great sacrifices that we tried to make in, in, in terms of goodness. I mean, Satoshi's vision, Satoshi's, Satoshi's vision, Satoshi's vision, you guys. They should just, they should, they should just call it, um, you know, Sat V, Satoshi's vision. That should be the ticker. Sat that would be so funny. They should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That could be the ticker. That that is really interesting, and I'm sure that they had they probably had figured out that they are opening themselves up to some legal thing. Because, I mean, if I'm just your everyday noob, and I sign up with Coinbase and I want to buy Bitcoin, and it has you know nearly the same logo and nearly the same name, the wrong one because it's cheaper. And that, you know, they're going to have to make it really clear. You know, Ethereum is clearly a totally different name. Same with Litecoin, which I believe you can buy there too, right? 
So those are really clearly, I mean, Litecoin has coin in it, but... You wait, know, wait, wait, no, what did Via BTC do? They, one of them was angled left, and one of them was angled right. Like, Well, yeah, that's, well, that's Bitcoin totally cash. Totally clear. I mean, that's like, you know, that's due that's diligence Bitcoin right cash. there. No, it, that is Bitcoin Cash, and there are several cases where it's very misleading. And I believe the BitPay wallet was super misleading. I don't know if they changed it, but for a while, I mean, it had the same... They didn't change the ticker. It was BTC and BTC, I think, or something well, really and, bizarre and, like that. Isn't the whole thing misleading? Aren't they trying to steal the name? So isn't this like standard operating procedure slash best practices well, like well, that, how to mislead? Yes, and then well, like you just tilt it a little bit. They're like, okay, we'll tilt it farther. If we're, if we're gonna shit well, talk actually, to the cash well, wallets, the replay. Why, why does Electron Cash still have the the Bitcoin price feed? Well, why why does it try to tell me that my Bitcoin know, but, cash but is check this out. The, the, is an interesting discussion because the original idea of Bitcoin Cash was no, we're not going to do replay protection. That was the original idea, but they had to cave on that too because nobody would list it. You can see it on the GitHub. You can see the Twitter um, things. And when I was at the Future Bitcoin Conference, they did. I don't even know if it was called Bitcoin Cash then, but they were saying we're going to launch this thing and it's not going to have replay protection. So. That is a thing. I don't think Bitcoin Gold is doing it on purpose. I think they just look tangled up. Now, as far as uh, SegWit to X, it's still up for discussion as far as I can see because some people have said, different exchanges have said, uh, Trezor said recently, um, that was the one I read, Trezor said recently, no, um, that was Bitcoin Gold, excuse me. See, I can't even keep track of all this shit. I mean, neither. <laughs> yeah, like Trezor said we're not going to support Bitcoin Trezor said we're not going to support Bitcoin Gold because replay protection is not clear. Some basically a short short version. Two X. I I think the replay issue is still unclear. Does anyone know what the hell the status is with that? Are they going to do it? Are they not going to do it? What what's up nope. with that? That actually, uh, I'm going to kind of sneak in sneak in a little segue here. It's got me a little confused about what BTC.com is doing because they're essentially saying that they will support both right off the bat and that users, they're actually encouraging users to send their coins to them if they don't have them there already to deal with the fork because they, they have a, a replay protection method. And the only thing I can think here is that they're going to be directly processing their own uh, wallet customers' transactions through their mining pool and effectively uh, splitting the coins with uh, tainted outputs. But uh, well, that's, yeah, um, that's all right. So let's. I can. Um, I'm gonna try to get someone. If get someone from BTC, I know a guy from BTC.com. I'm gonna try to get him on here. He's pretty cool, pretty reasonable, um, and I like. He he started a meme too, uh, the evil miner meme. So that's the <laughs> the evil miner. Uh, uh, story. But uh, yeah, we can get someone. We can get someone from BTC.com on here and have them talk about you know what they think about this um, and their wallet so at what you know what is btc.com what are they doing they have a wallet do they do anything else uh, I'm not really sure what they do besides the wallet service and the mining pool like this, this is actually a company I've kind of never really developed a clear opinion on because like kind of the circumstance yeah. of like the, their involvement with BU I just always got the sense that this was one of the the Jihan shells that that, that this was kind of indirectly set up or run by oh, Jihan. You know, but lately they've well, kind of they bought they bought a wallet. They bought the wallet. They bought it. 
Well, I, I mean, like they're they're mining operations specifically with the the Gion. Oh, okay. But like, yeah. and it, but lately, it's kind of it seems like they've kind of like pulled back a little bit from like contentious pushes for things, and it, it's really made me reconsider that assumption that this is kind of just like another a, a Gion red herring. Yeah, well, I, I I agree. Um, the people I talked from there, I was you know pretty they were they were pretty cool. Sure, we didn't agree with everything, but they were pretty much as you described. You know, they're trying to figure out the best the best way to do it, but we can try to get someone on see what they think about it. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, they okay. So BTC.com is going to support it uh, right off the bat, so you can use it for. I don't know if that's so. They're going to have a wallet. I don't know how that's going to work in the wallet. We'll have to read the article. Uh, what's what about yeah, it's, Bitfinex? It's, Are they going to support two X right away? Mr. Do we know? Chris. <laughs> Sorry. Well, there's going to be a chain split token, but whether or not the wallets are activated, I mean, that's up to Paolo and the team of developers' side, right? They've just got to look at the situation as it evolves. But you can still issue like a futures or a chain split token in anticipation of that. So they don't really have any yeah. concrete plans as far as like no, splitting because the until until the day you you don't know what's going to happen. It's like Bitcoin Gold today. It was like a scramble at the last minute because there were customers that were saying, okay, like you know, are you going to credit the Bitcoin Gold? Because if not, we're going to do a bunch of withdrawals. And what you notice throughout the day is the, the lending market started to dry up, right? On the BTC side, and started getting silly um, fees for, for borrowing Bitcoin in order to short Bitcoin, right? And as a result, it was like, okay, let's have a meeting. Let's decide what we're going to do about this Bitcoin code. Because up until now, you know, the policy of Finex was to ignore it uh, because it was, you know, it wasn't deemed relevant. There were more important things to work on. And then there was this announcement today from Bitcoin Gold. They were going to, I think they were pulling forward the, the, the snapshot date. And then it was like, okay, actually, we think we should just do this because it'll set a precedent. It'll be a good dry run for future hard forks. And the, the policy right now is not to worry too much about the particulars in the future because it's such a changeable landscape. Like one can spend every day glued to all the Reddit and the Twitter feeds looking out, you know, what decisions are going to be made. But like you saw with Bitcoin Gold, you know, they were changing their minds every which way. Originally, this was going to be a snapshot back on back on the 5th of October. Then it was going to be like the 1st of November. Now it's been rewound to like, you know, maybe four hours from now, roughly, based on the current block block times. And so if you, if you stress out too much about what, what will happen when, it, you're just wasting your time. Like, okay, if there is a concerted effort to launch a fork of the blockchain, we at Bitfinex have now decided, like, and I just speak as a, you know, as a contractor there. I mean, we've had team meetings, I'm using the, the word collective, we decided that this is a brute fact. It's a brute fact that people will attempt to fork the Bitcoin chain with the UTXO set intact. So what do we do given the situation, given that there are lending markets, given that you need continuous trading, and given that, you know, we don't, you know, every exchange doesn't want, you know, a bunch of traders start taking their Bitcoins off in, in, in hordes and then suddenly there ends up with this, uh, you know, weird effects with liquidity and people not being able to, to, to borrow in order to short and so forth. So what we decided was you just have to let it happen. You just have to accept that it's going to happen and actually just provide temporary markets, chain split tokens and then temporary markets for people so that you know, if they're long or short on margin, they can, you know, exit those positions in a graceful way that doesn't create 
a market event, doesn't trigger some shock event in the market and, you know, leave somebody with um, uh, an unprecedented balance uh, on, on their P&L. But that, that's, that's really the, the, the only way you can really do it. I'm happy to take questions. I know that was a very dense piece of information. I just been out this evening as well whilst working this and meeting a bunch of people in Bitcoin and they wanted me to explain the reasoning behind it. And it's, it's I know it's complicated, but if anyone has any questions, I'll have to answer. Yeah, it's uh, just real quick off, like Fubar made a comment. Uh, he's kind of giving you shit for not having a clear plan together for that. But I mean, it, it's it's not that simple, Fubar, when you have like these things come out of nowhere because like you don't know until a, a fork developer actually gives you specs and tells you what they're going to do, how they might change things with data formats to like keep things segregated. You don't know like what specific mechanism they're going to be uh, using for like, you know, replay protection or other things like that. And like you, you really can't do anything to prep for that on a technical level until you actually know those details. So, I mean, in the case of both Bitcoin Gold and 2X, like that's kind of still a wild card. Well, I mean, think about it. When, when something is hashed and it's gone into a, a, a commitment that's been witnessed and that information is, you know, brick shithouse solid, uh, it's immutable. Uh, that's not the trend in most technology. Like there's a Steam. Steam is software for your computer and it became popular because client server software, namely like first person shooters and stuff that you could play with other people, some at a server, some were P2P, but it didn't matter. The versioning of all this different software was a nightmare and Steam being a central versioning uh, place where everyone could get the same version so they could communicate, that was a huge problem that was solved. Now we have uh, blockchains and people are like, oh, okay, well, let's just take the features of the blockchain and we'll decide whether or not we want to support that. But before it's actually spun up or before the before commitments are actually made and hashed, things can change right up to the last second. And, you know, observing any type of critical failure all the way up until the last, last second is extremely uh, stressful with a huge amount of work overhead. And so I think that maybe helps to clear up for some people why it's such a contentious, high work, risky thing to uh, try to do these deals on software without a brick shithouse unified version. Uh, I was going to applaud your y'all's efforts, man. Like you know, you know, like you're saying, it goes back and forth, back and forth as to what's going to happen with that, when they're going to do the snapshot, when the fork's going to happen, and y'all were right on top of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, because in that Coinbase statement, they say that they're not going to support Bitcoin Gold for their customers because. Uh, it's too wishy-washy, I guess. They don't, you know, they don't quite understand how it's going to play out where, you know, you guys heard it was coming and y'all know it's like moving fast and y'all jumped in front of it. So I applaud y'all's efforts at Bitfinex. Right. So this is like a message I got from this, uh, you know, developer Martin at Bitcoin Gold. And this was just like a few hours ago. So this was like all hands on deck, right? So we, we make the decision internally, okay, we need to list a futures market because there's really enough demand for this thing. Given that as an exchange, you know, you have other demands, like the developers have other, other things that are already working on. And then he says to me, you know, the fork will occur, but the main net, he says, will be started a bit later on in time. We need to, the replay protection, a unique uh, BTG address, which is being implemented and currently in test phase. So given that they're forking at this point in like, you know, maybe 10 hours time from the point this conversation is taking place, so what you're dealing with here, and everybody doesn't mind me sharing, sharing this sort of, you know, private conversation, although nothing in there is, is particularly sensitive. Get, you know, put, put yourself in my position, right? Like I'm being asked to come up with, you know, a futures contract 
which is probably going to be based on the Segwit contract, except this time the settlement condition can't be based on the emergence of a valid viable chain, which is what we did for Segwit 2x tokens. It has to be based on the snapshot, right? Because if you think about it, how does Paolo, the you know chief technical officer, and how does he put all these balances into the people that didn't trade on the CSD? He has to put the, these new Bitcoin tokens into people that are holding Bitcoin. He has to put negative balances into all the, the margin shorts. And of course, now Martin, this developer of Bitcoin code, is telling us, you know, 10 hours before the fourth time, oh, but by the way, we'll be doing a snapshot of this block height, but we won't actually be rolling out the main net chain until maybe two or three days later. And it's like, but hang on, we can't like halt trading and everyone just like wait for you to get your shit ready. We have to allow for continuous trading. And so, yeah, you know, I, I had other things planned for, for today. And, you know, I work remotely and Phil was like, we got to do this. So I was like, fine, I'll, you know, cancel everything else and I'll work on this. But please understand that every time somebody forks like this and it creates enough demand, all these exchanges have to put in a ton of work, like 10 people today, all had to stop what they were doing at Bitfinex to do this thing. And, and credit goes to, you know, Paolo really and, and the team and the legal team at Finex who uh, had prepared, who'd done the preparation, that they could roll out a market actually in under two hours. What took time today was getting all the wording right, making sure that everyone understood what they were, what they were trading on the CST. But this, this idea that you would do a snapshot at one point but you're not going to have a mainnet chain, like you're not even going to have hashing power for a couple of days, wrecked. Like that, like I don't approve of that. Yeah, uh, somebody, uh, Mustafa, uh, asked in the mm -hmm. chat if you asked why they're waiting the, the two or three days for the mainnet launch. Because they just... want to do this replay protection. But then my question was, well, why didn't you get this shit ready? Or <laughs> why didn't you have this ready on time? But they, they want to do testing. They want to have a, a unique address format. As you could see, if you, if you want to rewind the tape after the show, you can see the message again. Like they want to make sure that, you know, the address format is slightly different and that there's replay protection so that people don't accidentally send coins to the wrong address. I guess the, the new address format's a, an improvement, I guess, from Bcash. You won't have any of the issues of people confusing things. So you guys want to see the, the next uh, next piece of 2x news? Sure, man. You've got you've got an exchange in Hong Kong completely refusing to list or support this in any way. They will not distribute any B2x tokens to their clients. They will not process any B2x sent to their addresses, and they will not list B2x on their exchange. I'd say, like, uh, aside from maybe BitMEX, this is probably one of the strongest condemnations we've seen so far. I mean, uh, you know, their volume isn't really anything to speak of, but, I mean, they, they've taken a, a very hard stance compared to a lot of the other businesses in this space. Well, and what are the consequences of that stance? The consequences are going to be that a lot of people that want to get those coins are going to take their coins off of their exchange, and then people will be holding their private keys that may actually condense the UTXO set, they are going to have a lot less tax uh, reporting implications because they weren't holding coins that were split. And even if they were, they said that they weren't going to be split and they gave proper notice. I mean, it actually seems like a, um, a pretty uh, common sense stance for a smaller operation to take to not, you know, bog themselves down with a horse ton of work that 
is very, very prone to net failure if an error is made. Yeah, I think we might see more of that, like just to where people are just either going to support it or not, and we might see uh, Bitcoins going to certain exchanges for certain altcoins, all the certain these airdrop coins that are coming in. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a headache. Yeah, and that's the thing that um, I think that BitMEX commented on it before. Once you, you once you list one, then there's going to be more. And then you're going to have to start listing more and more, and customers are going to expect to get every airdrop and every or whatever you want to call it, split or what whatever you want to call it, the proper name is, you know. So you know they have to really think about what they're going to list. So that's also another thing. I mean, maybe for some, yeah, right. If it's a small um, a small operation, it's probably maybe it's not worth it. So it's kind of a you know, of course, the customers if they if they demand it, then they will. Then we gotta we gotta list it, but you know these things seem to be popping up. You know it's kind of like ICOs. I just found one under my sofa, and there's another. I found a new chain split under my so, <laughs> under the under the pillow. You found an ICO you know under I mean? your sofa, right? Yeah. Oh look, up oh, look, I found an ICO. Yeah, I found an ICO. Oh look, oh under the oh wait, I moved the pillow. Oh, there's a chain split. You know, well, so it's funny just to everywhere. You know, uh, now and 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 then if you add, if you expect every every one to be listed, I mean it it can be it it can be I don't know it's just gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out and to see how many more come. Okay, we've got you know people are already joking about it. You know, there's Bit Gold. Oh, there has to be Bit Silver, right? And there has to be Bit Platinum, and there has to be. I don't know whatever other about excuse me platinum already exists in this space it's oh, called oh, rare pepe but what's the limiting factor pepe. though the limiting factor is the diminishing return on the amount of socialized cost that different exchanges will be willing to take on so there's a certain amount of socialized cost that's being externalized yeah. by b gold and the number of people that are willing to take on that cost to potentially make money is X and that's going to go down and down and down and down in my opinion as there are more and more and more forks so the limiting factor is going to be the well, yeah. to which socialized cost I mean, is accepted yeah I mean it's that's the thing it's a little bit different than altcoins because of course you know that's not this, the way they're launched because you already get some if you have Bitcoin so that's the whole thing that's a different dynamic than just listing altcoins or even listing tokens so it's a it's a little that's the thing that is making it that's why everyone is trying to figure out what to do and how to do it and this whole replay protection it's just really tangled up. Ooh, interesting. Apparently, uh, no para. What's up? I uh, dropped by in the chat. Uh, apparently, the reason Gatecoin isn't supporting B two X is because Nicholas Dorier refuses to uh, implement anything with B two X in his library. I'm assuming they they uh, have all their systems built around in Bitcoin. It's kind of an uh, interesting dynamic there. <laughs> Had a baby Nicholas. Way to go! Somebody buy him a drink for me. Well, I mean, see, I, I don't really know, like, uh, and now that you mentioned that, uh, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, is, is that a, a good sign, as in the, the developers are actually sticking to their guns on what they think is the ethical decision, or is that a bad thing that an exchange out there is entirely dependent on, like, the library that this developer is producing? Like, they're incapable of actually building out 
support for these things on their own. That's just a little Node.js action. It should be fun. Yeah, but the development complexity, if you fork away from Bitcoin, is very, very, very high. And there are already uh, metrics that are in the system in terms of if you fork it with the entire history of it. I mean, that's that's a rough uh, uh, bronco to try to tame. I mean, it's going to split your head open. It's not it's not an easy thing to just be like, hey, this is going to be fine. What's going to happen is you're going to see like the earthquake footage of that suspension bridge that keeps going more and more and more out of the oscillation frequency that it can handle and eventually it falls apart. Um, Bitcoin cash and the potential for that to happen with other coins in terms of the mining is definitely what we're seeing starting out with this difficulty and then swinging a whole bunch of hash rate around with incentives that are delayed in terms of their communication. That is not good for trying to uh, avoid these swings that, that can prove really, really fatal to this stuff. So the amount of socialized cost for these is, is not zero. And uh, now Chris has been working on the socialized cost for this. Back when um, uh, Bcash was launching, Jimmy Song was working on the socialized cost for it. And I have a feeling that continually the people that know how to do valuable work in the space are going to get really tired of doing that really quick. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Uh, okay, I'm really bad at the Segway thing, but surprise, guys! Samurai Wallet has SegWit support. Everybody go, go open your wallet and move all your coins to segue to, to the to the less secure security model like Peter Rizun said. Let's downgrade our security. But anyone can spend. Yeah, exactly. Come on, guys. Let's downgrade our security. Let's live dangerously. Hold on. I'm spending your coins really quick. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, seriously, though, this is anybody okay, but, out there watching, you should definitely start moving your coins over to SegWit and start getting some of those fee savings. <laughs> what other wallets uh, are doing support like that so far? Uh, to my knowledge, we have the uh, Ledger and Trezor wallet applets, uh, Green Address, uh, Samurai just went live, and not really sure off the top of my head, honestly. I'm not keeping up too heavily with a lot of the SPV wallets out there. Uh, I do believe, believe Electrum should be coming soon, though. They made a comment on Twitter uh, sometime last week that 3.0 is coming soon, and that's the version that's including Segwit. Yeah, like uh, Samurai Man, I've seen a little bit on the Twitter about them talking about even developing an auto-dump feature for all these airdrops. And I don't know. I just like that idea. Just as soon as they come in, you just press a button and boom, dumped it. But for right now, yeah, the SegWit address addition thing is big. I like that. I'm, I need to download the update for that right now. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what kind of scripting processes can be made for these types of uh, uh, forks in the future, if they'll be able to script out a majority of it and then just make some tweaks on it for the different changes, or if there's going to be enough actual uh, innovation in these things to make it so that it's not easily scriptable. But uh, um, I don't think that it'll be the latter. I used to have a big sign in my office when I was at Wells Fargo that said, if you repeat it, script it. And uh, I think that that's definitely true in a lot of these situations. So however much the change is, like if it's a minimal change, they should be able to script it. And then maybe my diminishing returns on the amount of externalized costs will be less of a factor if that happens. But I think it would be heavily dependent on how much of this stuff they can script. 
I think it's definitely scriptable. I saw Eric Pombroso do a, a poll just uh, just recently today talking about, is this a feature you're interested in? And if you are, like, what would the fee be that you're willing to pay for it? So I think it's something that might come up down the line. Interesting. Very interesting. That definitely tempered the, uh, the strength of belief that I had in my own point. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, it's like really at the end of the day, unless you're fundamentally re-architecting the entire system drastically, all you're going to be doing is tweaking like little aspects of data structures, like maybe the block header or uh, like a, a, a bit field in a transaction or like the specific mechanism you're using to sign things. I mean, I, it's it would be annoying and in my opinion, a waste of time, but uh, I don't see that as insanely complex of a tool to build as long as we don't see somebody actually go, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna literally rebuild everything. Gonna reinvent the wheel just to make it a pain in the ass for everybody that's implementing. How how, how about you, Chris, on your end of the exchange? Uh, would it be trivial, non like how how hard would it be to script out some of the processes of getting coins? listed and distributed would that be a pretty big pain in the ass with the amount of uh, material control that you need to retain over the material funds well first of all i just want to say that bitcoin code is decentralizing bitcoin again with a gpu efficient hashing algorithm and um no i'm not i'm not shilling it it's probably just <laughs> going to be a shit point. it's probably not going to amount to anything it's so badly organized um each exchange is going to be unique, right? Like in its in its demands. Like some like Bit Bit um, Bitmex is a derivatives exchange, and they have the luxury of saying to their customers, you know, what we're not supporting any of these. We don't want to set a precedent. I understand that a lot of exchange owners right now, I can share with you, are pretty annoyed um, with this whole Bitcoin Gold thing because they just find it like an awful burden. It can't be scripted away. Um, but like with Finex, like a lot of thought went into it, Paolo put a lot of thoughts into it. And we now have what we feel is a pretty good boilerplate of legal terms because you have to get the business logic and the legal logic right and you have to have the code, the, the actual uh, development code right underneath. So that every time something like this comes out, we have some standard you know, parameters and we can just tweak them depending on whatever unique you know, unique presentation is given to us by whatever bunch of marketers emerge and, and tell us they're going to fork the UTXO set. Um, so unless, you know, I, I feel like unless like someone on Bitcoin Core forks Bitcoin, right, and let lose the share or someone like that or Gregory Maxwell often goes off on their fork, I don't think any of these forks are going to amount to anything. And the more that come out, the more watered down the whole concept's going to be and the more used to the notion that people are going to get that these things are just going to like pump initially maybe on some bullshit speculation and then they're just going to do what most altcoins do and it's just down and to the right down and to the right for the next you know several months you know, it's going to be so, back so, holding so you're saying that people will eventually feel how they felt about never-ending story after it was like part seven and then they didn't <laughs> want to go see that movie anymore yeah i i watched that like a million times as a kid and then after a while, I was like, I never need to watch that again. It's a land before time. They made like 15 of those. And it's like, I cried during the first hey, one. I did hey, not cry during no, the 15th no, you, Hey, you leave, you leave that alone. You leave that alone, Blake. Or Star Wars. They keep making Star Wars. I don't like Star Wars. I don't like Batman. I don't like James Bond. Let's just oh, no. slay all the culture. Golden cows as quickly as we can. Censor him. now. <laughs> James Bond's going to get you, man. Golden Eye was good for N64, but that's the only positive thing that I will say about that entire 
intellectual property pursuit. I'll agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can concur. I love taking us off topic as far as I possibly can. Well, guess what? I'm gonna bring us back on topic. Ha ha! Deal with it. Just a a quick thing to present to everybody out there. Anybody watching who either doesn't run a, a full node or doesn't anymore or has any um any any user interface problems like you're not really sure how, how to manage the node or how to set up the configuration or how to link your wallet to everything i would highly recommend in the link section in the description go through this uh article by jameson lop he's actually got a pretty good breakdown on first of all why you should be running a node that obviously to protect yourself from these kinds of forks and different attempts to change consensus rules against users consent wait what didn't gavin also, say we don't need to do that oh who cares what <laughs> gavin <laughs> said i don't need to do that but the, the big important thing in, in this article though is he has a number of different uh tools like for instance he has a, a config generator that he wrote up himself where you can actually set up your configuration and have a, a file automatically generated for you and then he's got another network configuration guide. So there's a couple of different links to guides in here that should help anybody who kind of feels overwhelmed at maybe trying to, to run a node or manage it themselves. And like, if you've ever had any doubt on whether you can handle that or had problems trying before, like I really recommend you check this guide out and give it another shot. Because it really is important to actually be validating things yourself fully when you're using this network. Or why doesn't someone, someone do like a deal with someone like DigitalOcean and just do like a one-click install solution for like all the normies? So they can just click it, it sets up, probably not DigitalOcean, they're a bit expensive, but you know, one of these kind of, you know, hosting providers. And then it just like, you know, runs a bash script. I mean, I've written a bash script already. It's on, you know, my GitHub on under full node. And you can just run the bash scripts and it will install all the dependencies for you and install Bitcoin Core for you. And yeah, sure, you got a little bit, a little bit hacky, you got to get, you know, but all the command line stuff is minimized. Well, yeah, I actually love, like, will, all the I love will, will pick the bash with the rainbow cat. But I, I have to yell at you for suggesting people set up a node on, on a VPS. If it's not on your system, oh, sure, I, I get it, I get it. But for those that won't do that, for those that won't do that, which is most people, you know, but yeah, ideally locally. But for those that won't, I think someone should set that up, and I think it would, you know, I think people would use it. Did you guys see Honestly, the, uh, the, the the dummy node spin up guide? There is this mm -hmm. guide for spinning up dummy nodes because they couldn't get enough nodes yeah. up and running for these projects that were not in line with the core tenets of Bitcoin. So they wanted to make it easier for people that were too stupid to look into this stuff so that they could help support a project that they were too stupid to research and understand. I and I, I agree and disagree with it so strong at the same time. It's like making this splinter well, in my brain. Isn't that what uh, 2x wants to do? Or that was brought up as a possibility? It was similar to what XT Oh, yeah, did. Peter, Peter Resume, you know. he brought that up. He, he was giving them that idea. But like personally, though, honestly, I think if, if you're at the point where you're not going to run a node on your local machine, you're, you're looking for a button to press to spin something up on a VPS, 
I personally think it's better if you just hook your wallet up to somebody else's node that you trust, like a, a close friend, maybe uh, somebody in the family, whoa, 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 somebody whoa, who can actually. Whoa, 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 whoa! This is a trustless system. I, I, I vehemently whoa, disagree. Whoa, whoa, with whoa, whoa! It's a trust minimized system, Blake. No, it's trustless, Don't man. Me. You can introduce trust if you need to, but you're introducing trust, man. Trust minimized system, Blake. Don't go there. Trustlessness. Don't, don't don't make us. I feel like you're fighting over so semantics. Well, yeah, of it's course it's better. Yeah, it's, it's what I do. Of course, it's better if people run their own node, even if it is a one-click solution, because you can put all kinds of other things on top of that one-click solution. Like they could run their own green wallet through, or their own samurai wallet through that node, right? You just send them an email and say, right, go into your wallet, set this, uh, you know, to the RPC client, and they would just do it. Okay, what, what you're trying to get into is the slack to this, the people that like do know how to do it, but won't do it. Not the people that can't do it. It's, you're trying to appeal to the people that kind of know how to do it, but just won't do it. But what they need is like someone to save their fucking time, to write a script, and then they'll route all their transactions through their green address and through their samurai wallet. But here's my one problem with it being on a VPS though. What happens when there, there's a problem? Like the, the node crashes, something goes wrong, it's misconfigured. Like who do they go to? Like they're, they're a person who's, who's just clicked what, a button. The, server, the actual server has like a mechanical breakdown or do you mean the software? Well, I mean like a, a software issue. Well, if the software, software crashes, you can easily write a script to, to reboot the server. Like that, that's trivial to do. But, but my point is, hold, hold on. Your point, your point is a your, your point is a good one, but your your point applies to both. Your point applies to the VPS, and it applies to your own internet service provider. If you're but going see, to run that's, locally, that's why I, I feel like people should be hooking up to like a node of somebody they trust in that situation, look, because either way, you you're not capable of dealing with that. Of course, it's preferable if you have an old laptop sitting around, you've got an extra 130 gigabytes to spare. Of course you should run your own locally hosted node. I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying that for a large, large portion of the people that are watching this, they just won't do it, okay? Even if they do have the ability. What they're looking for is like, you know, I wanna press a button. I want all you to all the work for me. And all I'm saying is, actually, I think that wouldn't be, I think that'd be a pretty good service. Like you could do that. You could, sell it, you could do a deal with a, you know, one of these hosting providers and just do a white labeled, you know, Bitcoin full node service where they just press a button. It still requires you to do some technical things. It just does the bulk of the work for you. That's what well, I'm saying. Also yeah, but it, it introduces uh, like so many security risks because like th that server isn't yours. Like they, it can be modified. Things can be changed. Like your traffic can be rerouted. Yeah, it's like, you if, know, if you're not capable imagine. of managing your own node, Connect to somebody who is that you trust, because when something goes wrong on the node, they can actually there? fix it. But Digital Ocean is so much more competent than most people's friends. Maybe in this group, we have some friends that are so competent that they would be more competent than a service like Digital Ocean and spilling, spinning up a, a VPS Wait, droplet. What's the but difference that's not common. Shinobi just said between trusting DigitalOcean and trusting some random Electrum wallet hosting provider, you know, someone that hosts. Well, no, because I'm not here's talking a, about look, a random here's thing. A like, like Mr. Hoddle, for instance, has a lot of his friends and family directly hooked to his node. So those are people directly in his okay. first degree of social service. Yeah, sure, there, sure. Okay. There's a simple scenario where this works really well. You have a node at your house, and you have a node at a VPS. 
you can, you know, maybe your node's on a laptop. It's not running all the time. You want to sync it up. You, you, you peer off the port at the VPS and you can depend on either one to actually funnel your transaction data through. I think that's a pretty ideal situation. I think may fit like some odd percentage of users. Yeah, I don't think that the service level agreement that most people are getting for their home internet is suitable for the operations that we're talking about. I, I, I just really don't. I think that a VPS is going to have at least a service level agreement that's going to be in line with the type of uptime that people are looking for. I just that's want to buy SLA, coffee. For those in the know, SLA, service level agreement, for those who don't know. A, contactual, a, a, a contractual agreement through meetings of the mind that's legally enforceable. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, that's what you want. Like, we're talking about a, a person with a node that has maybe like 20 of their friends hooked up to it for the times when they're actually querying data and transacting. I mean, 20 that's, people, that's you definitely want a VPS. Like, I don't know, anything above two or three, like I think, like, I'm a fan of the VPS architecture and uh, I think it's not perfect. I think that there are risks and that you spelling them out is definitely important, but at the same time, I think that it's the, it's the why should Why shouldn't Mr. Hoddle just buy up like, you know, some, the two terabyte dedicated server and just rent that out to his friends, Shinobi? Because he, because he is not ultimately in control of that device, that software, and at the end of the day, that's more attack vectors than your actual personal computer. Well, you'd have to, you could, you could have armed guards. You, you could What's get armed guards for them. I'm not saying they should keep their private keys there. We're talking about relays. So what's the, all they really, all they're really using these for is that it's running the, the version of Bitcoin that they want to represent their, you know, views on the network, right? They're running 0.15. And by the way, you need to release the um, picture on the main picture so that it sw switches to our faces when it, when, you, when we talk. Yeah, there you go. Uh -oh. so, what, so really, all this is about is wh which version of Bitcoin you want to use. I don't feel like, okay, you're right. There is some security concerns. There are always security concerns. And you're right that, like, in theory, some political activists go around, like, you know, hacking people's servers and making sure that they're running the version of Bitcoin that they feel is convenient to their political views. But I don't see that right now as being a serious issue. Like, if you're going to trust an electron client, you're going to trust Mr. Hoddle's server. What's the difference between him installing the server and you just having a one-click install and checking it for yourself? Because you can go in the command line and check it and validate it. So I don't, I, mean I don't see... Well, I mean, better yet, have have a node at your house and have a node at a VPS, because then you're actually always doing consistency checks True. versus both. It's it's like the best of both worlds, like really. I mean, ultimately, Chris, it's because like when you have something on a VPS, like that's on the VPS's network, like they're in control of routing that traffic, like back and forth. They're able to shut that machine down. They're able, like, they're in total control of that environment. Like it's like I get what you're saying. Like there, there is a, a utility in that, but it comes at a a trade off that I, I think you're kind of diminishing a little bit here. <laughs> I mean, they have, they, have, they have physical access, but they're not going to be going into your sessions and being like, "We have a root access password and stuff like that." So I mean, it's not really the same. I mean, physical access, yes. You don't want to have physical access being dutched on your own stuff, but physical access of a provider when you have your own environment that you can code remotely and that you can toast remotely. I mean, they're, they're a little different. I think we're going to have to uh, agree to disagree here, and everybody should go run a node on their own computer, not a VPS. <laughs>
Yeah, but that's not enough just to run on our computers. Like uh, uh, if somebody has a Bitcoin business or if somebody has like hundreds of people that they want to service, having a node with better uptime SLA is really important. Well, I mean, you can just get a business class internet out of your house, get a decent, slightly old server and a RAID array and plenty of memory and you're going to have one hell of a node still. Yeah, but people can still flood out your local node traffic and stuff like that, whereas the uh, um, actual surrounding network infrastructure and the frame encapsulation relay services that are going to be going on at a big VPS hosting service, I mean, they're just different. You're not going to get as much uptime at, at, at a home yeah, operation. Yeah, trade-offs. Yeah, Shinobi's right. Obviously, a machine that you can physically access is more secure. He's correct. But there are trade-offs, and I just feel like, you know, Shinobi hasn't represented those trade-offs as clearly um, as, as, you know, Blake and I have represented them. Like, but I'm not saying it's you know, either or, it's just, there's are trade-offs, right? I think that you're right about, like, it's just like different layers of trust and how much trust you want to put in this. And I mean, like, I feel like I can understand where Shinobi's coming from on the passion because it's like, I feel like that's where the whole sound money thing comes in. I feel like you have to tell people it's important to run your own node. It's important that you check the chain and, uh, I think that's really important part. And I understand like, uh, you know, even just the minorest little thing that could be a security problem does sort of just like, it just sort of throws in the air like there's not as much trust now. Oh, there, there you go. So why, why wouldn't you just like run um, a node locally that was pruned that checked your, your hosted node on your VPS to check that it was giving you the right information. It was, it was you know, validating the right thing. You could do that. And then you would have all the benefits of the SLA, like Blake and I am saying, plus you would have all the security of something locally as well. Awesome. Uh -huh. I, I think that just came up with a great idea for a service. And somebody watching this right now should set that up and charge people and make lots of money. Yeah, I kind of like the idea Agnes was saying, having a VPS and, and your own. That way you just sort of like, I don't know, that way you just sort of double down the trust. Yeah, we have the tools. I like that coaster, man. <laughs> really good. I got it from Room Seventy Seven. Segway coaster, the beer coaster. Hell yeah, man! You got a you got an interview lined up with that guy? Bitcoin. Oh yeah, yeah. I want to get your account for for an interview. He was like really early Bitcoiner. He was like friends with Roger Ver early in the day, and he was like giving us these really cool stories. So he runs uh, Room Seventy Seven, which is this bar in Berlin, and they've got these really cool beer mats and um, Segway. And uh, so he was like the first business in the world to accept Bitcoin. And it was right here in Berlin. And I've been there, it's a really, really cool bar. And yeah. he was telling us these stories about like Roger and how like, you know, they were really good friends and, you know, Roger introduced him to Adam Back. And Roger said to Jörg, like, by the way, this, this Adam Back guy, he's like the second most important person in crypto or something like this. And he just talked about how things had changed so much and how like, you know, the people had like, split off and gone in different directions and the people that were once friends are now like fighting each other and so i think he's a super interesting guy and we should definitely definitely get him on for a show yeah it's yeah. fascinating right he wants to talk he wants to talk to roger on our show actually that's oh that'd be so good. that would be good that would be great yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah so i've been out with him tonight as well so might see see if we can set it up if Roger would like to come on here, that would be amazing, I think. All right, we can do it. We can make that happen. Can, 
can we have him on the show and then have Rick make the image and it can be him crying about the military industrial complex when he can say something about the split? <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to do that one, man. You might, you might leave at the last minute. So. I think that they should both go. They should both go to a uh, bull and bear and grab the balls. We need a picture of both of them. Uh, grabbing the balls, right. you know, yeah. I, I think there's a rule of the internet. If you put your real face on the internet, you have explicitly agreed to allow yourself to be memed. It's just, it's a rule. That's uh, going to be all the way down in like rule 7,000 appendix 342 adjacent a, some, some crazy internet <laughs> rules get. Yeah, well, I I don't know about the the rest of the the crew, but I'm starting to run out of things to fart out of my brain. <laughs> Wait, guys think can we have more things on the news desk? What else do we have on the news desk? Ah, uh, we pretty much uh, burned through everything. The uh, the iota yeah. issue, some of the CNBC stuff, and then two X. All right, cool. It's like Enron in the making. We covered that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh shit. We need some Sarbanes right. uh, yeah. policy. So as a fi- yeah, also the uh, the real wolf of Wall Street said Bitcoin. No, said ICOs are the biggest scam ever. Sure. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's funny because his narrow worldview is either ICOs or penny stocks. So it would be more appropriate for him to just stay in his wheelhouse and say that ICOs are a bigger scam than penny stocks because I could actually agree with that, but. The more flamboyant uh, style of Jordan is going to go way all out of his wheelhouse and be like, it's the biggest scam ever. But, you know, I don't think he's way off. Well, uh, you, you want to you wanna take us out, Chris? All right. Well, guys, did you enjoy today's show? You really like it? Well, if you did, you can like and subscribe. Remember, only if you want to. Say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, goodbye. everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.